My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Post Credit Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at ProBible.com. Today, as always, I am joined by my co-host, Kate Onder, who you can find writing about video games over at comicbook.com. I literally have to think about that every time I say it uh, Cade, our boy Cade, just got back from the Outer Rim. He just saw Lightyear, 10.30 a.m. showing. Which, yeah. Do you get snacks? Yes, I didn't eat them, though. Like, I, I really, I got, like, a big bucket of popcorn. I It was still at, like, the rim of the Did you the bring bucket. it home with you? No, it was, like falling over myself trying to get it out so it's like fuck this not worth it dude yeah i I, uh the last time i had to go to a film that early i think it was the suicide squad for a (laughs) screening at like 10 30 and look i'm like i guess this is a first world problem but Mm -hmm. morning movies i just don't know how you do it but you did it you saw the the day it came out which allows us to talk about it for a bit today what'd you think about it fresh out yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I had I had high hopes for it, but I uh, I don't know. None of the Pixar movies have really resonated with me since like Inside Out. Like I'm, I'm not gonna knock them, but like I'd say that me. that's probably I'd say that that or Coco are probably their last two like stone cold classics. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really like Toy Story four. I really didn't like Incredibles two. Um, so. I went in kind of cautious, even though I had high hopes and it, it really, it really hit for me. I mean, it, like you've kind of described it as interstellar. I also felt those vibes. I didn't see anyone's impressions of this movie besides general positivity. So I was very fresh on this movie and yeah, it, the interstellar vibes are heavy and it's very accessible version of that. I think. Yeah. So to explain it without spoiling it directly, when we say it has interstellar vibes, it, it doesn't shy away from like the theory of relativity and and Mm -hmm. how like time changes depending on where you are. And I think that they do and to tackle that subject in what is effectively a kid's film Mm -hmm. is a, is a tall task, but I thought that they did a great job of explaining sort of how that works. But what we mean by that is it draws a lot of its emotion from that aging wonkiness. So in interstellar where there's that one scene where they go on that water planet and I think every hour is seven years or mm-hmm. some shit like that. Yep. So, so the tension that's wrought out from that and then the emotion of McConaughey getting back to the ship, he watches those clips of his entire family growing mm-hmm. up. That is effectively what Lightyear builds its heart around. Mm-hmm. The fact that Lightyear is sort of a an almost Captain America-esque out of time and not quite a soldier. I mean, he does fire a gun and fight in this, but just sort of an out of time explorer that gives up his family and friends to keep doing, to keep chasing the unknown. And to me that that's like one of sci-fi's tenets, right? And so I going into it, I knew that as long as it sort of was as stereotypically and predictably sci-fi as I hoped it would be. And usually when you use those words, it's not a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. But I always felt that this was just going to be a Pixar-ified sci-fi film. And that is exactly what we got. And I think that to their credit, and I think I said this to you and I certainly put it in a tweet, I felt like it had more in common with space films I love than with Pixar films that I love. Like, yes, it had that amazing talking cat, which was hilarious to both adults and kids, right? Which is essentially Pixar in its Walter White blue meth purest form. Like that is like when Pixar is making grownups and kids laughing hysterically equally at the same joke, that's their magic, right? So yeah. it has all of that shit. But I think on a storytelling level on where it mines its emotion from, and also like the cinematography of it at parts, yes. which you come Crazy. to expect from space films, even bad ones like the George Clooney Midnight Sky, mm. average film looks amazing. Mm-hmm. If you're a space film, you've got to look good. And yeah. <laughs> this pulled that off, I think. So overall, I, despite and like you, despite going into it with exceedingly high hopes, it met them. There were times, you know, classic, Pixar-esque, I laughed, I cheered, I cried. It got me with all yes. three of them at some point. And that to me is 
why I like Pixar films so much is because it's sort of, first of all, they did this a long time ago. They were the originators. If they didn't build the bridge for making animated films less taboo for adults, I don't think that we would be getting things like Into the Spider-Verse Part 2. So Pixar, they are the OGs of this, right? But what is their greatest strength and continues to be, you see it in Soul, right? Which is a movie about the purpose of existence. But again, it's got a, a talking cat. These are mm-hmm. two films with talking fucking cats. But what they've done so well is that they've sort of removed the stigma of being like blown away by what is effectively a kid's film. And that and this movie did that for me. Yeah, um, it's it's also incredibly impressive how there's probably like four or five characters in this movie uh, that are like core characters and they all have like a specific arc. It's like this is their fear or their their downfall and by the end of the movie you know they have to overcome it in some way whether it's a fear of space or a fear of uh team i guess maybe buzz lightyears or or trying to step aside yourself and let people help you um and and stuff like that it's very clear and but it, it has so much satisfying payoff in that sense and it's it's great to see in some sense i know they're basically different characters but like where the ego and heroism of the Buzz Lightyear toy comes from and seeing it's not necessarily an origin story. It kind of is kind of isn't, but uh, seeing where that comes from and how they almost overplay that in the toy story movies for to comedic effect, but you see it in a more realistic and tangible fashion in this movie. There's a, about the toy. There's a very, this is a, this is a rough comparison. There's a Johnny Bravo esque quality to the toy. Yeah. So like, oh, yeah. Like he just, <laughs> he's kind of like, there's a, there's a undeniable comedic tone to him coming from his bravado and confidence in himself. And like you said, we do see that in this film, but it's less of a literal cartoonish toy version and more yeah. of like an actual humanized version where he, yes, he believes it in himself, but that's, manifested in him not wanting teammates not mm-hmm. in him being like this egotistical maniac who thinks he and only he could save their world yeah which plays nicely into toy story which is about family and stuff right friends and i think that all kind of ties together very nicely um yeah i also this movie is amazing action like really yeah. solid like there's a moment towards the end of the movie that i won't necessarily spoil but like stuff's going down and and Buzz Lightyear's in a pretty precarious situation and you're just like fuck yeah man like this rocks like it hits yeah it's like a space movie yes exactly like uh I took my mom to see it and she she does not keep up with movies uh she only ever sees movies with me and the last one we saw was Spider-Man No Way Home uh so I only take her to bangers and (laughs) (laughs) um and so she was like oh that was so great oh that's Uh, awesome she loved she loved the cat uh, oh, the cat was incredible. Yeah. And so, and even the interstellar comps are there. The cat, and then also, I think its name was Ivan, are basically like Tars. Yes. Yep. Exactly. It's so it's pretty one to one. Like there's to, not much to confuse it with. And to be honest, <laughs> I don't think that the film is shying away from that because mm-hmm. the director of this liked my tweet about it, which name checked it, which means he was going for it. You know, he's yes. not he's not shying away from its sci-fi homages, which brings me to my final point on this one. Which ones did you notice? I mean, we've already sort of name checked uh, Interstellar as the big one, but some other sci-fi comparisons, homages that I sort of saw was Star Wars, Alien and Halo. I thought it's not a sci-fi movie top gun maybe that's just because it's fresh in my mind but i think there's a lot of maverick in buzz lightyear especially during uh when he's doing the uh the test runs towards the beginning of the film and it it reminded me of the opening of top gun maverick um yeah yeah yeah, i could see that so uh, that was something that was in my mind i don't know if that's obviously it wasn't top gun maverick they were referencing but i don't know if there was a little bit of top gun inspiration in there but uh yeah good calls on uh, all of those. What what about uh, Alien? Do you think stuck out the most? Was it the vine creatures or? Yeah, yeah. There's that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would say so as well. Um, I, I think it's is it's funny we didn't see the little green freaks from Toy Story. Oh, that's a great <laughs> call. I never thought about that. I uh, 
Did you watch all three of the post credit scenes? I was going to ask you that. I didn't even stay. I didn't even think about it. They're very, all very, very brief, but one of them definitely sets up a sequel. So I wouldn't be surprised. I was going to say the vibe that I've heard is that they basically all three are set up saying that like, yeah, if this film does well, we'll run that shit back. For sure. It seems like, and I hope it does. Like I, I, I think it had like a 5 million opening last night, which I heard was soft for something like this. And I think it's tracking for about 80 million uh, for the weekend, which isn't yeah. huge, but like, I hope it, it does well and we can get a sequel or, you know, if it really comes down to a Disney plus series. And it will be interesting to see if they apply this to other right. characters in the Pixar world in general, yeah. let alone just Toy Story. Like the immediately one that comes to mind is some sort of Western tale exactly. about yeah. Woody. You yeah. could already picture it in the same way that this was basically a sci-fi film. This could almost be Pixar's backdoor into the Marvel thing of how like Winter Soldier is always called like, oh, it's a political thriller. You know what I mean? Sure. Like it's yeah. Marvel making <laughs> yes. a X genre film. This mm-hmm. could be the way that Pixar does that. Yeah. It'd be, I'd be really interested to see how they do a Woody no, Western. No country for old men, but with That'd Woody. Be awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be great. Or Unforgiven or just something like super hardcore. But like, I, I remember in Toy Story 2, they show like his backstory of being like a marionette doll or whatever on strings. Yeah. Like a puppet. So I'd be, I'd be interested to see if they lean into that or they just go, yeah, we're just going to just throw that away and, and do a, a real Western. Right, yeah. Whatever they do, I'd, I'd be interested in it because I for think sure. they, they justified this movie. In my yeah, opinion. for sure. All right, so bottom line is we both thought it was dope. So if you like Pixar films, we definitely think you'll like this one. Let's move on to some news because we've got an absolutely packed week. Um, Lady Gaga has reportedly been cast as Harley Quinn in the Joker sequel, which is also apparently a musical. Cade, the first half of this sentence has me on board but then the musical part loses me and the amount of frankly the amount of takes on both sides i'm already sick of so i don't really want to belabor it and sort of regurgitate what's been being said over the last week or so i will just say i think gaga is great i think she's one of the most entertaining actresses or performers that we have so i like the idea of getting her in the film even as Harley Quinn, despite the fact that I said last week, I'd like to see them avoid stuff they've already done. I do think that the idea of like this Joker finding confidence in himself enough that he learns how to like woo a woman, let alone like another human being, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So I like that idea, but a musical in in and of themselves, I don't like them. I don't Mm -hmm. like the idea of characters breaking out into (laughs) song. When I go to see a play, that's a bit different, but in film, sure. it just doesn't work for me. So combine that with sort of the aggressively bleak and dark tone of the original film, which is what worked for yes. it. And I just feel like not meta in the traditional sense of self-aware, but meta in the sense like that Joker, he's a real trickster. He's singing mm-hmm. songs. He's a real goofy clown. You get it? And that I, I I feel like it's high risk, which I respect. I actually kind of respect how fucking bold-faced absurd this is and yes. how poorly wrong and how badly it could go. <laughs> like, I do respect that. But this news doesn't make me more excited for the film. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm similar. But, like, on paper, a Joker Harley Quinn musical is, like, that makes sense to me, uh, but not with this Joker because... Uh, even though he has musical moments in the first movie with the stairway and, and stuff like that, um, it's not someone I can see bursting out into song and dance in, in that way, like old timey, like singing in the rain type shit, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's it's an interesting idea. And like like you said, I, I respect them for having the confidence to just be like, fuck it, why not? Like, this was not on my Martin Scorsese bingo card of, like, ripoffs that they were going to do. I don't know if he's ever done a musical, but, um, like, if, if you ask anyone, like, what genre or what, what do you think this will mimic musicals on no one's yeah. guesses? Uh, Which in and of itself is usually the thing that film nerds like to celebrate, right? Like, oh, right. they're doing something different and unique, but there just seems to be an incongruity with the world and the characters and yeah. the genre. Yeah. I, I, I 
relatively trust. And let, let it be said, I assume you hope just like I do that we're wrong. Yes. No, absolutely. I, I have like enough trust in Todd Phillips to give him like the benefit of the doubt in terms of like, I think you could do it. Doesn't mean you will, but I think you have the ability to maybe get there. And if you, if it, if the whole movie is like Joker's in an asylum and he's falling in love with his therapist, Harley Quinn or whatever. And, and then it's like, a you know, outlandish, uh, psychological musical where it's like in his head and he's extrapolating his fantasies or whatever that's an interesting idea i don't know how it will work but i'm really fascinated by it like i've been fascinated with the idea of a joker sequel the whole time but this is uh it's cool i think it's an interesting idea yeah okay uh moving on (laughs) this piece of news is something and i did not expect it i did not expect what i think i wrote the post for work like Last night at 10.30, so it dropped mm-hmm. pretty late. Yeah. Uh, Kit Harrington set to return as Jon Snow in a Game of Thrones sequel series at HBO. Now, I should have double-checked. In fact, let me do that right now. Because I don't think anyone creatively is attached except for him, right? I believe you're correct. Because, they didn't have the fucking guys who ruined the show, right? Right. Because that's <laughs> kind, kind of the point here. That's the first thing I think anyone is going to ask. So, Kit Harrington, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and the... THR post points out how this could be like a very Obi-Wan-esque type sure. move, which in theory I do kind of like. Um, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So, yeah. So there's nobody attached creatively to write, direct, whatever. I guess they've just gotten in touch with Kit being like, would you be down and come back a snow? Hmm. I think that the creative team, like if they get some guy, who did we rip on for doing like burn notice on usa and we were like look no offense to them but i've just you know you remember or no i don't know if that that might have been brandon i don't no, know if i remember no, this no no they oh i think it was the guys who got hired to reboot daredevil um right yes 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 so it was some other shitty legal drama right exactly so yes <laughs> so i think if they bring in somebody like that i'd be like bummed but just gonna pick a random name off uh, the uh, shelf Andor comes out soon, right? If they're like, we got Tony Gilroy to do yeah. it, I think that that would make it a really exciting project. Even without the creative team in play, and you've not watched Thrones, so I'll, you know, you could say your piece at the end, but I'm just, just assuming you don't really have thoughts since you've not seen the show. I, I like his character a lot from what, I've seen a few episodes of it, and I like him as an actor, so I- So, so and that's sort of, and that is sort of my point, right? Kit Harrington's Jon Snow was the most- Tony Stark, Batman-esque, just like stereotypical. And I know it sounds a little bit not ideal considering what's the one thing that they have in common. They're all handsome, tall white men. But the fact of the matter is Jon Snow was Game of Thrones stereotypical hero. Mm -hmm. And I think that the idea, like the idea of seeing him again for the first time since Game of Thrones went off the air, like I had a quick little itch, like, you know, rewatching Game of Thrones would be kind of <laughs> sick. That was a pretty sick show for a while. And I haven't felt that in years. And I think HBO knows that. I think HBO yeah. knows that Kit Harrington and his in his endless good looks and his like boy band-esque popularity online. There's a very like mm-hmm. Harry Styles thing to him where like sure. he's got or like a Pedro Pascal where like a corner of the internet fucking loves him and just go ape shit for him. So I think that combined with the character being such a stereotypical archetypal hero combined with it, he's just brought back to lead the show. It effectively could be a Game of Thrones sequel straight up, Mm -hmm. like bring back everybody who lives from that show, make it like a two or three season thing to try and sort of rewrite (laughs) the narrative of how Game of Thrones final chapter went. Yeah. What I what do I think that they'll call this like Game of Thrones colon North of the Wall or some shit? I have no idea, but I do think that the Game of Thrones branding is going to be in there. I think that they're going to be selling this as we hear you. We mm-hmm. fucked up and we hear you and check out all these shiny new toys we brought in to fix it. That's my hope for it. I see no reason why HBO, given all of its prestige, all of its buying power, all of its commitment to the Game of Thrones world. This is now one of seven throne spinoffs in the works. Mm-hmm. I see no reason why this wouldn't be the one like, and one more point, 
the fact that this is coming out, this news is coming out two months before House of the Dragon even premieres, tells me that they think fans are going to be like, hey, guess what? Game of Thrones, still dope. Yeah. So no, all I, of I that agree. combined makes me think that this might be the one that they put their back into, to, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, and bring on A-list talent across the board and effectively try to revive the original Thrones from the dead. That is how I see this. I think that the reason that Kit Harrington's name is attached to it is because they needed some sort of anchor to it to get people hyped. But I think the general scope of it is going to be like, no, this is Game of Thrones part two. Right. Yeah. I, the, the close comparison I had to this is like Dexter New Blood, right? That show and right. exactly. the original Dexter ended on a low note for a lot of people. And they held off a long time to do it right. And granted, a lot of people think the ending that we got is even worse. I agree. I disagree with that. I think it's really good. But uh, so there is a risk there where you you have to be really confident in the story you're telling and, you know, not come in just for fan service. You have to really tell a story. Uh, do, do you think it's too soon, though? Do you think? Well, there hasn't been enough time. I mean, it's 2022 won't come out next year. By that sure. point, it will have been five years since Thrones went off the air. If it comes out in 2024, the earliest. Mm-hmm. So Dude, in this day and age, there's such a deluge of content and franchises <laughs> and sequels and spinoff that, you know, your head spins. Stranger Things 4 was the biggest Netflix series ever, and it was in and out of the conversation in about a week. And now part two is already two weeks away. Right. So I think, uh, and by then, who knows? We would have all, we may have already gotten another few Throne spinoffs. Right. So the audience may be in the habit of like, Thrones, Thrones, feed sure. me Thrones. So no, I, I think if it was coming out tomorrow, it'd be too soon. Right. But given the development, I mean, they like I just said, there's not even a creative team in place, sure. at least as far as we know. I don't think it's too soon, but I think it's fair to ask. Fair. Moving on, Cade's Gaming Corner. Exciting week for me particularly. Cade, take it away. Yeah, so last weekend was the Xbox Bethesda Showcase, and there's a lot of stuff that happened, but uh, the biggest thing is that Starfield got its first gameplay it's about 10 minutes of gameplay. Um, and, you know, it looks like a Bethesda game in space and, you know, sticking with Buzz Lightyear and shit. This, this looks fucking tight as fuck. Uh, I, uh, first time I watched, it, I was like, I'm not sure about this. And then I rewatched it. I'm like, Oh my God, what am I saying? Like the, the gunplay looks really refined from like fallout. You know, it looks like a much more improved version of that. So that's like a viable strategy. Um, there's a lot of, you know, dialogue choices and stuff. And then, Probably the most exciting thing is just the space exploration. You have a customizable spaceship that they said you can customize every bit and piece of it from cosmetic to performance. You can steal spaceships from people, yeah, which your, is fucking your tweet. Sick. Your tweet. <laughs> your tweet cracked me up. Yeah, I tweeted something about like me engaging in a dog fight with my custom made penis shaped <laughs> spaceship and then posted a clip from Interstellar um yeah the, the possibility <laughs> but that's literally what this game is gonna be absolutely and i can't fucking wait and i hope that like the way it's shaped changes how it moves and stuff you know i think that'd be really cool um and there's over a th- or no there's exactly one thousand planets to explore which is a big promise given we've had promises like that with other games like no man's sky in the past and did not work out well, but, but No um, Man's Sky was perpetually generating, right? Yes. That's a bit different, wherein this is finite. So they, they said that they did procedurally generate the planets, but like in, in No Man's Sky, that's like everything's kind of unique to the player as opposed to like this is probably we procedurally generated the planets, but we're going to do stuff on them. That way we don't have to handcraft 1,000 planets by hand. They can kind of create planets and then go in and add stuff to it. But they said, you know, there will be planets that are like core to the experience what you would expect right and then there will be planets that are just like you know space isn't always exciting right it's like there is boring shit out there and so you can go and find a planet that's on the outer reaches of the galaxy and there may be nothing going on but you can start an outpost and start a civilization and it's very exciting i mean a lot of promises but um if they pull it off i think it'll be very cool so where do you stand on the 1000 planet debate it's it's interesting because like I like the idea of like we're going to acknowledge that space is big and space isn't always exciting. Uh, 
I think to have that as an option and not like, cause it's not forced. You don't have to go to a thousand plants. If you want to stick with the main plants, that's totally fine. It seems like there's going to be a lot to do there. Um, so to give you, they keep saying like, we don't want to say no to the player. We want to say yes to the player and say like, if you want to go out there, you can, there may not be nothing out there. There may be something, which I think is just cool to have options, right. And not be limited in the vastness of space. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Moving on to the next one. Uh, Fallout five has been confirmed by Bethesda. Now this was not at the showcase. It was in a separate interview. Um, and they've loosely talked about Fallout five as an idea before, but this is a direct confirmation that yes, it's going to happen. I don't think it's an active development right now, but they said, we're going to release Starfield. We're going to make Elder Scrolls six. And then after that we'll come Fallout five. So, um, they haven't said what they're going to do with it. I know that they said previously they have like a one page document that kind of is a wish list of things they'd want to do. Um, given how long it's taken for Starfield to come out, I mean, this game, Fallout 5, is probably a decade away, minimum. Like <laughs> it's going to be a yeah. while. Uh, but um, I imagine, you know, they'll have the power of the next console generation to, to take advantage of. So, um, long wait, but hopefully we'll be cool. What a studio. Yeah, they're crazy. They're fucking crazy. And I, I appreciate their transparency and just being like, look, we're not going to fucking make you think like we're not going back to fall. Yes, it's going to be a while, but we're going back. Right, right, Which right. is nice to have. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, Mrs. Marvel episodes one and two, and then Obi-Wan episode five. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, and we're back. Miss Marvel premiered last week. First episode one and two dropped in the last two weeks. Those are the only two that journalists have seen, which means that the rest are will be just as much of a surprise to me as they are to you. I don't know how many there are. I think this is a niner. Um, I believe so. It's one of the longer ones. So since I've seen it already and I've shared my general thoughts on this show, I believe, Cade, why don't you start with your sort of general thoughts here? I love how positive this show is. I love how upbeat it is. I love how... <laughs> Um, colorful and visually exciting it is it, I, there's a lot of um, pe- reasons that people don't like the MCU and people complain about the overall look and I think that's also been very significant in the MCU TV shows where it doesn't look very exciting um, this show is like on par with some of the best Marvel movies in terms of visuals and that's exciting and I think um, I don't know how to say her name. How, how do you say the actress's name? Okay, put me on the spot. Uh, I think it's, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it's Iman Vellani. All right. Uh, Iman is a charming, like she's done nothing like before yeah, this. I know. This her first thing. It's fucking wild to me where they pluck these kids out of obscurity yeah. and it's like, oh, they're perfect. Yeah, and she's the most charming, likable kid in the world and probably captures the uh, enthusiasm of a teenage superhero. So yeah, I yeah think I'm, w- I'm really digging it. Yeah, I think that they do that. A, they make her world seem colorful and fun like a teenager's or kid's would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're, you're right. I think that she's so enjoyable because it's such an earnest character. Right? Like She is. And I feel like one of the MCU complaints out there is it feels like the Avengers are sort of the only people who live in this world. I actually think you've tweeted this before. Yes. Sometime, that it doesn't feel like there's anyone living their normal lives out there. Her adoration and amazement by the Avengers feels such a relatable, like as real or as relatable as like a normal human being has ever been in this world. Because if I was a fucking teenager, I'd be like, dude, Black Panther is the coolest fucking thing in the world. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like I would be so hyped up on these, I guess to me, characters, not characters, because they'd be real. But so Mm -hmm. seeing that in her, seeing the way that she sort of channels that fandom into the into similar ways that we do. Now, have I ever been to a con? No, but do <laughs> I talk about this shit on a podcast? Yes. <laughs> so like, uh, so it's just nice to see somebody who feel, and even though I am a 29-year-old white dude, she is a 16-year-old, I believe, are they Pakistani? They're, they're South Asian. What? That is what they say in the TV show. That's what the damage control people, I don't know. 
subsections oh, of all of that on, stuff. Hold on, because I feel like I remember they were talking about um, Pakistani American. Okay. I knew it. Okay, Pakistani American. All right, so she's a teenage Pakistani girl. I am a 29 year old Italian male. I am nothing like her at all. Yet I still find her and her family relatable as hell. Right, like whose parents haven't embarrassed them while they were trying to help. You know what I mean? And it's kind of yeah. like the most heartbreaking thing in the world because you know that they're just trying to do the best for you and for them, but it doesn't stop them from just being embarrassing as hell. So I find that, you know, I find that just relatable. I think it's in such stark comparison to Moon Knight because these are both, these are the two first Disney Plus shows to introduce a new character, right? Mm -hmm. And the contrast between how much you're able to connect with Kamala Khan, despite the fact that we are nothing like her, versus how much you were able to connect with Stephen Knight or Stephen Grant. Mm -hmm. Um, And even though Moon Knight was a show that I think it's safe to say I and you and a lot of people were looking forward towards much more and were Mm -hmm. ready to accept into their lives much more, the difference between those two and just feeling like something, something that you're genuinely seeing a character's origin story and not sort of like Moon Knight just felt like a sort of broken sequel almost like it feels like there was a first film that we should have gotten that they didn't show us at first you know what I mean but this feels like a true sort of starting point for a new and young and exciting MCU hero and for that I think it's been a blast so far yeah absolutely let's talk about sort of the two big I guess narrative points from the series so far and I don't know if you're, I mean, I don't know if you've ever read a Miss Marvel comic in your entire life, but there's been quite a bit of debate about them changing her powers. Now, I actually think that even with the Disney Plus shows catching a bit of CGI heat in the past month, I actually thought that her powers looked sick. And I think that you've touched on this before. It's good to have variety with the impending Fantastic Four Mm -hmm. arrival coming. So no complaints there for me. Yeah, and they they kind of play homage to her stretchiness in the comics uh, very early on when she's at the con. She stretches her arm out, uh, but it's like all cosmic-y looking. Right, right. Um, right. I, actually, I don't even think it's her arm. I think it's like she sends a large arm towards whatever. So that was that was a nice wink, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't I don't hate the idea of them changing the powers. I like those powers, but uh, and it it would be different to see that. Uh, through a teenage girl than it is for a you know 30 year old man or whatever who's a man of science but um regardless I, I think that they're using her powers in interesting ways and uh failing with them as well uh, as we see in like the second episode uh where that kid falls and breaks his ankle <laughs> right uh so i think i think they're doing interesting things um and i'll be interested to see how it all ties together in like the marvels right when seeing them all use their powers individually and how that works uh in cooperation so there are only it appears six episodes of this show which surprises me as of yet the quote-unquote villain or antagonist has not been introduced could it be puberty could it be having a crush on a boy i mean i i just point being is like that is how heavily of a sort of teenage high school show that this has been that the biggest problems that she's enduring right now outside of her newfound powers are like traditional teenage girl things she's nowhere close to sort of superhero problems yet you had brought up that a government agency from uh no way home was back in this so do you think that they'll be a villain of sorts because do you think considering we're already 33 percent of the way through is it too late to introduce a primary bit like villain villain at this point I think the woman at the end of the last episode could be the antagonist that's in the car. Um, If I had to really take a guess, that would probably be it. But I do think damage control will play a large factor in like stopping her, which I think is also interesting as like the MCU is like heroes. We're not sure how to feel about them. Yes. They saved us from Thanos in the end, but they also caused Thanos in some way, shape or form. Right. Uh, and so damage control is like, we're not sure about Spider-Man. We're not sure about Miss Marvel and we're cleaning up messes and stuff. And I think it's interesting to use them as more people come into play after they just had this devastating event. I think that's an interesting angle to take with it. Yeah. All right. So I think that's about covers it for episode one and two, unless you have any further thoughts. No, uh, that really about covers it. I, I, I think that the 
uh, like you said, just the um, angle of having a kid in high school and like showing her go to the bathroom and her friend brings her a tampon. Like, I, I think that's just like interesting teenage drama stuff, right? Let's just right. like, this isn't just a superhero show. It's a kid, a, a real coming of age story and like not shying away from maybe the unsavory things of, uh, of growing up. And I think all that's very interesting. I definitely will end by saying I have been pleasantly surprised by it. I did not expect yes. to enjoy it as much as I've been, which I agree. It's quite impressive. All right. Obi-Wan Kenobi's penultimate episode, part five, uh, 13 years prior to the events of the series, Kenobi trains a younger Anakin Skywalker in lightsaber combat on Coruscant, where he criticizes Anakin for his aggressive tactics. In the present day, tracking Kenobi's location to Jabim, Vader promotes Reva to Grand Inquisitor. The Empire arrives to besiege the facility and deactivates the escape doors. To stall for time, Kenobi negotiates with Reva and deduces that she knows Vader's true identity as she witnessed him massacre at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant as a youngling. She reveals she wanted to gain Vader's favor in order to kill Vader for revenge rather than serve him. So that's kind of the first part of the episode let's start with the prequel era flashbacks i mean i think it's safe to say that a lot of people thought that we were going to be getting this at some point in right. the show right let me ask you quick do you think that they used any de-aging tech here um if they, i couldn't tell if they did it wasn't used very well i feel like at least for hayden christensen because you could tell it was like and maybe it's just because i've seen a lot of him in interviews lately but like you could see the forehead wrinkles and stuff and i'm like that's not that's not the guy from you know 2002 or whatever so you think that they did if they did, they didn't use it well, I think. I, I can't tell. I, I'm going to maybe even lean towards no. Okay. At least uh, I really him. I really cannot tell. Um, did you find these scenes to be effective or distracting? Because I think when you when you do stuff like this, you wade into sort of nostalgia yeah. shallow waters where it's just like, hey, remember when they were buddies? But mm-hmm. I think that the effectiveness comes from the way in which they intersparsed it throughout the show itself and sort of using it as a through line of their connection back then and mm-hmm. also their connection now and how they're still both learning from that day and many other days that they had with each other and how they are using that experience and knowledge to sort of outwit one another. Wherein this flashback is not only sort of like diet fan service but it it also sort of provides the context for what becomes like a game of mental and emotional chess between the pair and it's used to sort of explain the moves that they make like obi-wan has that one line where he literally says what he knows vader is going to do next so i think it was distracting in the sense i was like did they (laughs) de-age but beyond that but beyond that from a narrative point of view I think it was incredibly well used because I think they could have used flashbacks cheaply, but mm-hmm. I think here the way in which it was used was quite smart. I know the thing people really wanted to see going into this was a Clone Wars flashback with Ahsoka and stuff like that. And I, I thought that's what they were going to do. So to see them not lean into that, because I think that would have been more fan servicey, uh, though I'm still open to seeing that if they do that in the next episode. Um, but having it just be this one scene basically it's cut in throughout the episode and showing it largely from vader's point of view because whenever it cuts away it goes back to him usually uh and you see him maybe either reflecting on it or whatever and how they tie it all back in at the end when he's fighting reva and he's not doing what you know he was doing as a as a younger person and seeing the growth there uh i think it's all very well done and could have been what you mean the way that he stands back and lets her come to him yes it's a inverse of that scene right and uh, i think that's really good setup and payoff um and and shows again his his growth i mean we've already talked about it like how in in uh, episode three of the show he uses his lightsaber with one hand right and he's just attacking uh or not attacking like someone also pointed out the other day um that's how he fought an empire so he's always kind of had this one-handed thing of just like immense power. I don't need to double fist this thing. I can just. Right. And uh, I think showing that growth from him as a very aggressive person and kind of being more a little defensive and using all of his power is, is really cool. Yeah. All right. The facility is then breached with Tala sacrificing herself to save Obi-Wan, realizing they cannot win. 
Kenobi surrenders and is taken to Reva there. He convinces Reva to kill Vader when she delivers Kenobi to him. Meanwhile, Leia opens the doors after removing Lola's tracker, allowing the path to escape before Vader. Vader. <laughs> this is cousin. Uh, before Vader besieges the facility. All right, Tala, I love this character. Speaking of Thrones, she was in Thrones. She was like the head of the Dorn house. Um, this character, I believe I read somewhere, was originally written to have sort of a romantic vibe to her, but they ultimately <laughs> changed it. And I thought it worked immaculately for Agreed. a few reasons. Here is where a supporting character, like this is the perfect way to do it, right? Even though she is not powered, she has never she, like powered in the sense like she's not Han Solo. She's not a Jedi. She's not like a high, she's not even like a high ranking general. She was right. just like an officer or regular person who wanted to do the right thing. So it's effective because she, even though she was never in the war with Obi-Wan before and never will be again, she unsuspectingly became sort of a catalyst in him becoming a hero again. Before she dies, sorry, before she sacrifices herself, she, that is the first time may the force be with you is said in this show. And I think that for a line that, I mean, that's the Star Wars t-shirt right there. There is right. not a line that's been said more in the Star Wars world to the point where it's almost lost its meaning. Like it, it's lost its magic aura that it once had. But when it was used here, I got emotional. I legitimately, my mm -hmm. eyes welled up. And to be able to elicit that sort of emotion out of a phrase I've heard in Star Wars more times than I can count is a testament to one thing the character who said it and the situation yeah. in which it was said. So for them to have a forceless character, mind you that she's not even somebody who can use the force. Yeah. She just, I don't know if they ever really explained why she believes in, in the Jedi so much that she's mm -hmm. willing to risk her life and spy, but that almost makes it more powerful. We're in like the Jedi are sort of yeah. like this force of good that you just have to blindly sort of put your faith in, in order to reap the rewards of it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, which is what Ahsoka Tano kind of calls out, and, and that's a bit zealous, but that yeah. that's a different um, sure. yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. The fact that she is somebody who is sort of channeling the essence of may the force be with you in its purest form is just as much as Leia has been, just as much as Luke has been, a kick in Obi-Wan's ass back to being that heroic version of himself that we all knew and loved. And so for them to have effectively a regular character be the catalyst of that was amazing. Yeah, it, it speaks to hope, right? In this very dark series and, and also has a, another layer to it, I think, of just like, Obi-Wan's been struggling with the Force, this, this uh, show. Like he's either not using it or isn't good at using it. And to give almost this very powerful just phrase that can just be like, need you to figure this out right now <laughs> is, is, uh, is awesome. And again, like you said, yes, maybe there's some blind faith there or whatever, but it's, it's, I think it's beyond just Jedi as a whole. It's more believing in heroes, good hope, the essence of star Wars, right. Is good and evil. Right. And I think uh, boiling it down to that in that moment is very effective and very powerful. Now to that point, his sort of, because this this show is effectively about Obi-Wan finding that hope again and finding that right. sense of being a hero again. And we're in last week when he sort of infiltrated that fort to save Leia. We saw him get like physically get his groove back like he did mm -hmm. his little lightsaber twirl and pose like he was back in his bag kind of or, or he did that scene that you pointed out where he cuts the lights and he. So he physically started to get his skills back. But in this week, he's like spiritually gets his groove back, right? Like right. he's so like, I feel like that that the may the force be with you line sort of reminded him of why being a hero is worth it. Because this woman who, again, is not your Jedi. She's not your high ranking soldier. She was just a regular person for her to sacrifice her life in the pursuit of that ultimate goal of good. For Obi-Wan, with all of his endless power to see that, if I'm him, I'm thinking, well, shit, if she could give her life, the least yeah. I could do is use the fucking force again. You know what I yeah. mean? And so it, it, so he's he's remembering the purpose, not only how to physically be 
a hero, but the purpose of doing it and also how to lead this yes. week with each passing week, you find him, you guys do this, you guys do that. And he's sort of the general Kenobi from the clone wars that we used to know. And we see that here. He is one of my favorite lines. He's like, there, there is more than one way to fight. And yes. that is, and that is, that doesn't represent him being scared of using his lightsaber. That represents him once again having such a good understanding of combat and his opponent that he knows the best move and that represents growth that he is now back in that sort of hero leader general mode where he's able to outsmart and outwit vader yeah he's uh like you said he's getting his groove back and it's like the purpose of a hero isn't just to save the day right it's to Ideally, when you think of someone like Batman, like be the symbol, right? Like be the spark. And that will hopefully show people like there is someone willing to stand up for us. Maybe we can play a part in that too. And that's the whole essence of the rebellion in Star Wars. And I think this probably taps into what you and I like about Rogue One is like guys on the ground that are just like, we have to do this. And that's what her character is. And um, I think that just works on a, a very effective level and a very um, uh, powerful level. All right, final portion of the episode. Reva uses her opportunity to attempt to kill Vader, but is quickly overpowered after a brief duel and is stabbed. She is left for dead, and the original Grand Inquisitor arrives alive and well and reaffirms his status. As the path network escape, Reva finds Bail Organa's message on Kenobi's transmitter revealing Luke's location on Tatooine and implying that Vader now knows. Okay, Reva's turn. Nailed it. <laughs> I was not one of the ones to say that she was a youngling. I saw that online, but I just felt that they were building her up for, and as I said last week, not so much a heroic turn because I don't, think what she does is fueled by doing the right thing what she's fueled by is revenge and vengeance nevertheless enemy of my enemy is my friend and that is effectively what she goes for here which in the context of life and death in space is good enough you know what i mean they'll they'll take all the fucking help that they can get at this point so i found the building up towards her turn her having the fucking let me just say i have been praising moses Ingram's performance throughout the entire show. She was fantastic this week. With how scary they've made Vader look throughout this entire show, physicality and a violence that he's used on Reva in this show already. Only you can see my face. The size of the balls of this character Mm -hmm. to take a swing at Vader with his back turned is fucking awesome. Like, there is not a single character on this show who, even Obi-Wan himself, would dare try something like that except for her. So to see her fucking do that, even though she probably knows she doesn't stand a fucking snowball's chance in hell, but she's going for it regardless. She certainly believes she's like a boxer who thinks all it takes is one punch. I just got to connect once, you know? And I loved that. And I loved sort of them. Look, do I like her survive? Like they literally used the somehow Palpatine survived on her. They Obi-Wan was literally in the process of saying, somehow you sir and she cut him off Mm -hmm. am i crazy about her doing that as a kid and again now Mm -hmm. no but this character has been such a joy that i will gladly take more of her and i like the way that they're setting up and this is this next thing that we're going to talk about is probably the most fascinating part of this week's i like that they're setting her up wherein she's going to weigh in in the final week and she is going to have some say in saving leia or luke in some way shape or form yeah uh her whole thing has been interesting to watch. Like, I think it was very obvious at some point that she has to do something uh, that is beneficial to Obi-Wan. Um, I think I, I never, I guess, connected the dots just because I, I don't know why I'm, I'm a stupid kid, but uh, that, yeah, no one knows who Vader is like besides very close people. And so for someone like her to witness her witness him killing all of her friends and mentors and stuff and then living with that knowledge and having to bow down and kneel to him is crazy cool and then letting her go at him and obviously we know she's not going to kill him because he has to survive for three movies um but 
uh, I imagine there's probably going to be some sort of team up or something at, in some capacity in the last episode between Obi-Wan, Reba, and Darth Vader. Did you enjoy the actual confrontation between the two? I love the way it was shot. There was one moment that I raised my eyebrow at, and it's when she goes like behind his back and he's kind of standing there. And she, she, I'm like, all you have to do is like, just like jab backwards and you can probably like take out his legs at least. But other than that, uh, yes, I, I, I really dug it. And like I said, I think it's a good inverse of the Obi-Wan Anakin sparring right. session. Right. All right. So let's talk about the cliffhanger that this week left us with that is setting up the series finale question mark. I don't know. I, 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 while this has been wildly successful for them, and usually that leads to conversations of how do we run it back, the nature of the timeline means there's only so many stories for them to mine. So, and I don't think they could do him taking on Darth Vader again. Mm-mm. So unless they did him taking on like Darth Maul, who I don't have enough Star Wars knowledge to know whether he has legs or doesn't have legs or is alive <laughs> or not, not, not alive at, at this point. I don't really know, but I just don't think that they could warrant doing a uh, season two of the same storyline. But if they could find a new and worthy challenger for him to take on, I think that they would. So let's just assume that for now, this is the series finale. This mm. is the ender, right? It What it is effectively teasing is that Vader knows that Luke is on Tatooine, right? Yeah. Correct? Do we both agree on that i think that it is very obvious the now, end, isn't that something that, is happening there now isn't that strange to you yes very <laughs> because here's why how does obi-wan win we know luke spends the following years living in that home quite safe unaware yeah like he doesn't know any of this happened so but even but forget about from his point of view i'm saying it's not like they like rehide him he remains where he remains so not only does vader not kill him in this attempt he never comes back yeah so how does obi-wan win the only thing the only thing that i could reason which so my brain goes in two ways one, I think we have to get another Obi-Wan Vader traditional duel because I don't think that the only one-on-one that we're going to get is our boy getting his fucking ass kicked. I feel like that would just be a crime to fans. But on the other hand, the only logical reason that I could see Vader not attacking Luke and letting him live out his childhood years there is something like love and some sort of eternal, internal, emotional Vader still has light in him type thing. Because otherwise, I don't see what, because I think this takes place nine years before A New Hope, what would prevent him from going back to Tatooine at any point other than that? The only thing, and I started thinking about this towards the beginning of the series, because I was like, I feel like at some point, given Luke is part of it, that it'll come back to that or whatever. Um, My thought was, Darth Vader knows Obi-Wan's there. And he knows that it's going to be a problem for him. Uh, whether or not he could take him or not, I think he just knows, like, maybe this is too much to deal with right now. And we'll we'll wait him out until he's fucking a cripple or, you know, something like that. <laughs> but <laughs> no, but that would imply life. that Obi-Wan comes back now and absolutely sauces him to such an extent that he's like, fuck that. Possibly. It's, it's a stretch. I don't know. That's my only... That'd like, be sick. I'd be, be I'd be down, yeah. Um, it's it's hard to say, or or you know, the idea of Riva helping him, right, and and being able to have two forces take him down, and whatever that looks like. Because um, I'm not somebody who cares about sort of the continuity between nah, I'm not either. this show and A New Hope, which came out in the year 1977, and why Leia in that film. There's some inconsistencies with her sort of like knowing sure. Obi Wan stuff. I don't give a fuck about that. <laughs> but in this case i did this is because significant because this is the ending and that right. ending needs to explain a how obi-wan wins now and b what prevents him from having to deal with this again for close to 10 years right like, vader either needs to a losing clearly only fuels his fire more so yeah vader either needs to a obi-wan needs to show him who's boss again and be like, remember what I did to you last time, motherfucker? Like, yeah. do that shit to him again. Or B, they're going to go for the sort of, he still has light in him and thinks like, all right, fine, I'll let Luke live out his life. And then only chooses to attack Luke once he's 
brought back into the quote unquote star war in a, a new hope. But I do think that narratively, I don't want to say they've painted themselves into a corner, but there's a very narrow window in which they're going to be able to thread the needle of a satisfying Obi-Wan Kenobi ending and a logical reason why Luke is able to live in his home in safety from this point on. Yeah, the, the thing I just thought of while you were talking about that is you're a big Breaking Bad guy, so I'm sure you've heard this anecdote, but in the last season, they they wrote Walter White gets a big fucking machine gun, and they're like, we don't know what we're going to do with this, but we like it. And then they came time to write the second half of the season or whatever, like, oh, God, it's already aired. We can't change it. Maybe we'll just maybe we'll just act like it didn't happen and just hope the audience goes along with it. Uh and then they figure something out. I, I wonder if on some level, like they wrote something about Luke and were like, oh, fuck, we got to, <laughs> that's our machine gun, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now they're forced to end there. Yeah. So it's it's interesting to think about. And, um, you know, they've mostly been hitting on all cylinders here. So I, I trust them enough to not be too concerned about it. But I, there is some slight worry in my head. It's like really risk fucking some things up here <laughs> I, I think that they're gonna pull it off i just i i can't visualize it like i just that, don't um, yeah, i don't exactly. know i don't like for them to present a reason for me to be like oh so that's why darth vader leaves luke alone for the next 10 years for that to, that's a fucking gigantic pill to swallow you know yeah. what i mean like that's kind of a large logical leap to right. wrap your head around yeah i mean as far as we know i believe Darth Vader does not know that's his kid, you know, like it's entirely possible that what you were saying about the love thing kind of maybe somehow Obi-Wan's like, that's your kid. All right. I'm just going to fucking tell you, like, this isn't worth it. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe uh, it, that's that's something I could see totally happening in terms of just like playing to his heart and just be like, I know you're a suit of armor now and you're fueled by vengeance and stuff, but there's got to be some piece of you that realized that's Padme. You know, that's a piece of Padme right there or something, you know, and, and really that's got to be it. I, I think that that's got to be it, that that is how Darth Vader learns that, that those are his kids. Yeah, I think that would probably. What else is stopping him? That's that would have to be it. Like, because I, I mean, he never tries to kill Luke really in the, the movies. I mean, he maims him pretty bad and but like <laughs> brought to hit like yes something like he's not the one who involves luke back in the star Wars. yes correct yeah and and it you know all they, they do fight is never like i'm going to stab you in the, the throat it's like right, right i'm trying to get you to see my point of view here and right. yeah it's interesting so to the point of the final showdown i, I mean Obi-Wan's sort of journey back to finding hope again is so literalized. I'm wondering, do you think that there's a chance that he says at some point, quote, a new hope? <laughs> uh, it wouldn't shock me. Is, is all I will say. Because that's basically the theme of the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, you're totally correct. I mean, it is about bringing back hope to the galaxy in some sense. But to him the, specifically. The yeah. I don't think he's gonna say it but effectively the whole point of this show is obi-wan finding a new sense of hope i mean that is what it's been you think he'll just turn to the camera and be like man this is really a star wars yeah we, we need some we need a new hope <laughs> i know exactly exactly uh all right so final little part that i want to get to qui-gon is yet to show up <laughs> we've gotten a couple of qui-gon teases earlier in the series where do you stand? I I think the uh I think the Cal ship is, has sailed. Totally. I I I was like, if it was gonna happen, it was gonna be and during this last episode with the path and all that and all those yeah. people, I was like, oh, maybe he's gonna show up and then and you see all those lightsabers. I was like, didn't yeah. Happen. But um, uh, so yeah, that's that's totally gone. I think Qui Gon's a fucking lock just because they ended like you know the the recap of the the prequels with. Hey, Obi-Wan, I'm going to teach you how to talk to Qui-Gon. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That's a very deliberate thing to end that entire, like, five-minute yeah. yeah, on. So, yeah, he's coming. He's coming. So, do you... All right, so that is one. Do you have any other big finale predictions? I would be curious if they do set up a season two. And the only way I can think of that off the top of my head is darth maul in the distance like 
I see Obi Wan. Uh, right, because in the in the the cartoons they do have one last standoff. So it would be another circumstance of we know if season two if they fought Darth Maul, he's not gonna you know kill him or whatever. But uh, whatever they decide to set up, whether he just be like, I'm not gonna deal with this right now, but I'm gonna send these other bounty hunters or whatever after him, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Um, that would be my only other prediction, just because I think they know <laughs> they've got a cash cow on their hand with obi-wan in terms of disney plus subscriptions so i think they're gonna probably try to milk this and converse or sort of to add to that point kathleen kennedy had said right or wrong solo made them feel like they can't recast these roles yeah so the usage of live action Mm obi-wan is a ticking clock now (laughs) yes 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 which means if that theory is that if that if there's if her theory is meant to be believed and that they are now hesitant to recast iconic star wars characters that, that gives them what like if they want to use this character at all another five ten years maximum and then they'll have to i guess wait till mm-hmm. people old annoying star wars fans sure. die off yeah, like, kinda, yeah. you know i don't know what they're gonna do but yeah what's fascinating is they are obviously going to leave the door open the problem is now the window between the ending of the series and the start of a new hope is so small. And now that they've already done the Darth Vader thing once, as we've touched on, it would be finding the right story that makes sense and has actual dramatic weight to it. Yeah. The one last thing I want to ask you, and we can probably talk a little bit more about it next time, but uh, do you think this would have been better served as a film? No, no. No, because think about how much Darth Vader scenes we're getting. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, if you think about screen time, he would be a large chunk of the movie, you know, in terms of if you just cut that together. Um, yeah. I think I, I think it's going to depend on the scale of the set piece and the series finale, because that is sort of what you get with films that I don't necessarily know that that you get with shows like yes like the ending of mando season two was epic but it effectively took place on one floor of one ship right Right. so it doesn't so these shows i don't think necessarily allow for let's say like as we always do compared to the third act of rogue one right where you're Mm -hmm. fighting in space you're fighting on land you're fighting in a building and it's a huge so maybe in that sense i wish it was a film but in terms of like giving the story and the characters like like i just said Tala's impact would have never been as effective right. if it was a film. But right. because we had like three weeks with her, I think it helps the story overall. So character growth wise, I think show is the move. Action set piece wise, pending on how the final week goes, then yeah, perhaps a film would have been better in that one sense. Yeah, I agree with all that. The last thing I just thought of light bulb moment, we were talking at the beginning of the show of Duel of the Fates and how they're going to utilize that because that's got to play in. And it just cracked, came to me like, there are two possible things that can be happening here. Something to do with the path taking Leia back to Organa's, the Organa family, while Darth Vader is fighting Obi-Wan. Something like that. So you have two stories going on where I think that's how they'll probably do it. Yeah, I'm... saw online that the finale runtime was like an hour 30 mm-hmm. but then i saw because it was like a canadian theater chain posted like tickets and it was mm-hmm. at 133 but then i saw someone reply saying that includes a q a afterwards so i'm not exactly sure i think it's guaranteed to be at least an hour long right? i think I so mean, yes uh because i saw that too and it seems like um that Q&A would probably run for like 30 minutes. And so I think that would nicely put the the finale at about an hour. All right. All right. So looking forward to that next week. Also next week, we'll have Miss Marvel episode three. We are also hopefully going to lock in an interview with screenwriters, Paul Wernick and Rhett Reese. You know their work on the Deadpool franchise, Zombieland, G.I. Joe, Retaliation, Six Underground, the upcoming film Spiderhead from Top Gun Maverick director Joseph Kaczynski. They also wrote the upcoming film Ghosted, which stars Chris Evans and Ana de Armas. They are writing Deadpool 3, but most importantly, they wrote the 2017 space horror film Life, which I fucking love. <laughs> that's Jake a, that's a deep gut. Ryan Reynolds, 
fucking venom type goo. I remember movie. that was so keep your eyes posted for that. Follow us on Twitter at PostCredPod. Follow me at Eric Italiano. Follow Cade at Cade underscore Onder. Follow us on TikTok. I've been I've been TikToking. I, that's, uh, You're that's doing what, good as far as I, I don't own a TikTok, but when I see you post on Twitter or whatever. Thanks, dog. Odd. Thank you, dog. Thank you. Dude, I tried to do one of those like green screen videos where... So <laughs> the reason that I put off making a TikTok for a long time is because deep down, it's sort of the first piece of culture that like I remember seeing the teens do their dances and stuff and being like wow like i really don't understand this and that is what always <laughs> and that is always what and that's always what scared me about it so i made one finally and so far i've been editing clips on iMovie and moving nice. them over to tiktok but so i tried to do one of those tiktok green screen videos where like i'm able to put like a photo in the background yeah. and talk in front of it and i almost had a panic attack that's valid. That, I couldn't figure it out, it's dude. Scary. And it's I was like, wow. Scenario. So this is how my parents have felt for the last 25 years. Like, I get it now, finally. The future is now, old man. Uh, yeah. So follow us on TikTok at PostgredPod. Follow our new project, my new project, our new project, whatever, uh, at fake CBM quotes. I've been having a lot of fun on that one. Uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, which now has introduced a rating system. Enjoy your weekend. Kate, I will talk to you next week, brother. All right, y'all. Peace.